Hello and welcome to Everybody Loves Communism, the leftist history and theory podcast where we do the reading so you don't have to. I'm Jamie Peck. You guys can say who you are whenever. <laughs> well, I'm Aaron Thorpe. I'm Jorge Rocha. That's right. And together we are Captain Communism. When <laughs> pew, our powers pew, pew, combine, pew, pew. I fucked that up. That's okay. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> no, but but I fucked it up, Jamie, because see, now that I've been back for like a couple episodes now, I'm uh, I'm still kind of not used to the order of uh, introducing ourselves. My oh, brother well, we and really I'm like in half a year. We don't really have one. We don't because we're non-hierarchical. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Well, that's all right. You know what? People like the messiness of our show. They like the, uh, you know, the, the, the amateur quality, you know, it makes yeah, them yeah. feel like we're just like, we're just like them, you know, just like, just like through, talking to your friends, man, muddling through yeah. shit, talking to your friends. Cause that's what we are. So yeah. it's fine. So today we have, wow. We literally just figured this out. So now I have to act like we've been planning it for a long time. I mean, we have been planning this content for a long time, but we didn't yeah. realize we didn't realize that it was going to be a mini series. We always think that we can just do all of a thing in one episode. And then I just took a look at it and I was like, Hey guys, we have 16 pages of prepared material. I think that might be a little longer than an yeah. hour. And 16 pages for the listener is not to suggest that, Oh, this is just a text. No, 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 no. This is 16 pages of our in-depth prepared notes. And we're not, I'm not being, we're not, we're not being facetious here. This is like, very a lot a lot of work was put into this and yeah so it like jamie's saying we think we're, we're this is going to be the first episode of our mini series on wait for it drum roll please alexandra kolontai and intro to socialist feminism hell yeah uh, I love Kolontai. Uh, I do. I don't always agree with her. I find her a bit of a mixed bag, but I do think she was, she, you know, she had some good points and she was very much ahead of her time writing in the, I mean, the, these, these things were all written in the very, very early years of the Soviet Union before it was even the Soviet Union. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's pretty fucking cool. And of course, the reason why we are taking a look at these texts right now is because after our sort of hang out and shoot the shit episode that we did about um, abortion last week, we thought we would, you know, get back to our roots on this podcast and see what the uh, what the old Bolshevik thinkers had to say about mm -hmm. abortion and related topics such as, um, you know, reproductive labor, uh, women's rights, etc. And, you know, they're coming at it from a very different perspective. Obviously, it's not really framed in the in the mold of these individual rights, right. which is yeah. often the way these things are discussed in the modern United States, for better or for worse. So yeah. I, I just want to add to I think that like, it seems like questions like um issues like material issues like abortion seem like, you know, there are obvious answers and solutions to that, like um, across the left. And I think that maybe, you know, leftists or Marxists, you know, self-described Marxists don't spend enough time talking about these issues and what like an alternative would look like under a socialist or communist society. And um, I think that like, you know, especially with, you know, this being framed as like, you know, not just a culture war issue, but like liberals or conservatives, I think that like the left needs to stake out like a stark position that is uh, rooted in like, you know, material issues, you know, and that's not sort of the um, aesthetic or performative, you know, sort of lip service, I guess, 
to issues of individual rights that liberals talk about, you know. But you know what? Sometimes maybe individual rights are fine and good. And maybe that's what we're going to discover over the course of this yeah. episode. I don't know. I think uh, no spoilers. No spoilers. I think some of us have come away with the, we've come away with a variety of uh, of thoughts and observations and opinions from these that's, texts, which is actually pretty cool, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right, Jamie. So we have there some of some of the readings that we've come come across with like a variety of different interpretations, but you know, we are only going to provide our own perspectives, but we, you, the listener at the end of the day are the ones who are going to determine for yourself. What do you think makes the most sense given yeah. what we're presenting and summarizing and analyzing these texts to you. So yeah. sign but, up in the comments. That's right. So, you know, to, to get, to get us started, um, you yeah, know, who, it, who even was this lady or, Hey, tell us. Yeah. yeah so, you know, Alexandra Kolontat, you know, if you you know, some of you might know, and, you know, the bonus points for you, though, for those who, who already do know, but for many of those listening, you, you know, well, all of you probably are familiar with the concept of feminism, and I'm sure all of you are familiar with the concept of socialism, and I'm sure, you know, socialist feminism together makes sense, but you, many of you probably haven't heard of who that, you know, you might be thinking, who the hell is Alexandra Kolontai? Why should I care about this, you know? name I've never heard of before and this, you know, this Russian name. Well, more and more people are talking about her. That's right. More and more people are talking about her. And I think and we, this is, and this is, there's a reason why she, she is the foundation. In fact, all three of the texts we'll be talking about in this mini series are written by her and why she's the foundation of this mini series on social feminism we'll be having. Now to get up, to get into it, she was born, uh, Alexandra Mikhailovna Domonotovich or you know, as we called her, Alexandra Kolontai. You know, she was, and she was a Russian social revolutionary. She was a politician, a diplomat, Marxist theoretician, and the subject of this miniseries. Kolontai was born on March 31st, 1872 in St. Petersburg, a very long time ago. But, you know, mm-hmm. funny fact is, you know, she was born in St. Petersburg, major city. So she is, in fact, a city girl, and she can join with like uh, Young Miami and, and, and a JT. Um, part of the, the um, but she, she now, as you could tell, like, you know, Domotovich is her last name that she was born with. And, but she got her name from her first husband with, who was also her cousin. Hey, no judgment here. That was like a very <laughs> common thing back in the day. It was, it was back in the day. Yeah. Very common thing back in the day. Uh, uh, Vladimir Kolontai and they married in 1893. Um, and you know, it's a very, just a very cute story about, the fact that when they met, she was like 19 and, you know, before we kind of get into it, she, she originally wanted to be, she, she was really good at school. Uh, I guess that's not surprising. And she really, she wanted to go to university. Her her mother specifically told her she shouldn't do that because at that time uh, women were discouraged from going to school because that they viewed as a further higher education, not being really necessary for raising a family. Um, mm. But they allowed her to complete a, examination for being a teacher, which then is kind of used as a kind of a finishing school to then become a, to become, to become, you know, a mother. And that was, that was quite common practice in Russia that in those times. But when she met her, when she met her uh, first husband, it's a very interesting story that uh, her, her first husband, Vladimir Kolontai was an engineering student and her family, particularly her mother really didn't like that. She took a liking to him uh, because he was poor. Uh, oh. So, so, which what they what they that they did, and it's important to mention that Kalantai came from a pretty pretty well off family. You know, her father was a 
general in the Ru Imperial Russian Army. Um, so definitely by no means someone of a, of a working class background. Um, but you know what they originally did is like, all right, we're going to send you off away to 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 Europe, to the rest Western Europe, so you can like forget about this young man. But that didn't work. He came, she came back, and like she really, she still, she still, they still were in love with each other. So they then he got married. Very cute story. Um, but despite being the daughter of an Imperial Russian Army general, she joined the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party in 1899, um, when she was 27. Um, Class traitor. She, she was she was in fact a class traitor and when the RSDA, RSDLP, you know Russian Social Democratic Labor Party had an ideological split in the early 19 aughts uh, for those that don't know there was an original split there were people who were the Mensheviks and the Bolsheviks Bolsheviks if you don't know is basically the 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 group of which was the leader of, was a certain Vladimir Lenin which they were the guys guess, who won basically basically yeah and but when that is ideological split she actually originally thought it with the mensheviks the other group um against the bolsheviks but uh to kind of make the story short and we and eventually we, and to be clear we'll we'll, we'll talk more about alexandra collins it won't be the only time we'll go more in depth in her life at some in some other episode but this is just kind of give you an original uh uh synopsis of her life in 1915 she broke with the mensheviks and became a member of the bolsheviks and after the 1917 February Revolution, she returned to Russia and supported many of Lenin's proposals, including his uh, April thesis, which were a radical uh, proposition that we must continually, we must push even further towards a socialist society. And she was also a, one of the members. In fact, I think she was only one of two women that were on the Central Committee of the Bolshevik Party. And she, because she was on our Central Committee, she was one of the people, vast majority of which did vote for this, but she was one, one of the people who voted for the armed uprising that we now know as the October Revolution, which Hell yeah. Mm, hell uh, yeah. And so in the first Soviet government, she was appointed the People's Commissar for Social Welfare, which actually makes her the first woman in, in all of human history to be an official member of a governing cabinet. Girl um, boss of the week. <laughs> the original girl boss. For sure. Uh, she did later leave this, this post and she then formed a organization called the Genotel, I'm not exactly sure if that pronunciation is right, That's which was right. the which was the women's department of the Central Committee of the Russian Communist Party. Basically, it was this portion in the Bolshevik Party to essentially focus on the affairs of women that are that need to be accounted for in the party officially. And this was in 1920. Now there was a bit of a internal party dispute that she was on the losing end of, uh, but and. As a result, as a result of that, Kalantai was basically sidelined from uh, any party party duties. But she did she did manage to escape being purged from the Communist Party altogether. And mm -hmm. in fact, she was still given uh, still important, you know, not as important where she was, but uh, important uh, official duties. She was a, basically a diplomat from 1922 until 1945 when she when she retired. So not a bad gig, all things considered. Um, given like the the stalinist purges um that yeah, she yeah. that she was on the first wave of um she but, could have had a worse fate than uh basically being shuttled around as a diplomat like yeah. um away from the purges than uh you know yeah, yeah. And, you know, rather than and, being purged yeah and she we, eventually died in moscow in march 19th 1952 at the ripe old age of 79 which was quite yeah. you know quite for someone who lived uh was born in 1872 uh you know her dying in 1952 at 79 
a year and in fact she died a year before stalin died at an older age than stalin died so well, at soviet uh, living standards man yeah i mean right. i mean all things considered pretty great life women do live longer than men generally speaking that's true that's true that's true but you know i think you know it's very small synopsis we could still go more much more in depth but you know i think this is someone of uh, just going to give you just a glimpse a taste of which taste taste if you will mm-hmm. of of someone i consider and i think we all here on the show consider an incredible woman yeah. that's right i mean she also okay i guess we'll talk more about it later but she also had a pretty cool uh personal life she was kind of a samantha as they say do you know yeah. what I mean? Is that yeah, like so, so, is that uh, like diametrically opposed to a Karen? Is that like the antithesis <laughs> to a Karen? Oh God, Samantha! Like, I well, I gotta remember that I'm doing this podcast with men who probably haven't watched Sex in the City and don't. Oh, it's like it's like the most gendered reference point that I've ever come across. Like when I had on Doug Henwood and Liza Featherstone on the Antifada once upon a time. <laughs> Um, I made some some reference. I guess Cynthia Nixon was running for governor at this point, and uh, I I, call, I referred to her as Miranda, and mm. Doug was like, "What?" and Liza was like, "You don't know about Miranda?" <laughs> and it was like really almost cute. like speaking like you know you're making me think. Uh, I'm sharing an uh, an HBO Max account with uh, with my ex, and I'm using it to watch a space politics show as I do. And um, she's watching Sex in the City. And I couldn't think of like a better sort of a between our personal like, you know, uh, interests, you know, but also just like kind of like a perfect, I guess, kind of dichotomy, you know, Aaron well, really said Aaron, Aaron and Jamie really said women be watching Sex in the City. We've well, essentialized look. women to be watched. Yes. To watch, and men watch space politics. Yes. I mean, that's, that's I, right por que no I have definitely watched both. And <laughs> I don't even think Sex in the City is that good, but I just like watched it because that seemed like the thing to do. And when I was a teenager, it's like, ooh, it's got sex in the name. That sounds really yeah. exciting to me. But anyway, what I was getting at is she, Samantha was the slutty one. So okay. I'm, I'm saying that Colin Ty was like kind of an awesome slut for her time. Yeah. I, I, and yeah. she had some very, uh, very modern, shall we say, ideas about sexuality and relationships yeah. and, you oh, know, yeah. what women should be allowed to do, especially. Yeah. That, that you know, I, I didn't have the rushes down in the notes, but you're totally right, Jamie. And it's part that's kind of, you know, partially why I made that kind of joking allusion to, you know, city girls. I guess she was a city girl. Um, because uh, you know, she was she was liberated in term, sexually. And she and as I made a reference to, she had a first husband, but her second husband is when she really started to come into her own in terms of uh uh in terms of you know becoming her own as like a liberated socialist feminist who and she was one of the first people who proposed, uh, you know, the concept of the free love. Just, you know, yeah, fuck and love who you please. Yeah. You Make way for me. winged arrows. We got to do that essay for sure. Yeah. And my, my the piece I'm going to read to, uh, uh, she talks about um, free love and differentiates it against like marriage, you know, which is rooted in this uh, liberal bourgeois capitalist um, social relation in which women are subordinate. And uh. Well, yeah, man. Let's get into she, it. She's tired. Yeah. All Do you right. want to take it away with the first of the of sure. these of these works, Aaron? Sure, I will. Um, let me take a drink of water. Because um, I really uh, I really enjoyed this piece. I had never I've I've heard of Kalantai before I read this, but um, you know, sometimes you read something that resonates with you, um, and you know, she's talking about um, women in their role in society under uh 
capitalist social relations. But I told you guys, the reason why I liked it is because it also sort of unties this like Gordian knot of like questions of race as well. You know, for me, um, trying to draw parallels um, and also just reading it for what it is, but also thinking about like, you know, my own station in life and um, under capitalism. And she does a really good job of um, basically talking about this bourgeois liberal feminism versus, um, you know, solidarity, you know, socialist feminism. And uh, they had I think all the same problems that we do now. Absolutely. Is what, is it, what this is saying to me. Absolutely. And I think like uh, what we're seeing in the wake of the repeal of Roe v. Wade, um, you know, not just online, but also I've seen this stuff in real life is sort of liberals, white feminists, um, you know, falling back on racist, um, uh, xenophobic, Islamophobic, homophobic, transphobic tropes. And, um, you know, just these sorts of systems of oppression that they're ostensibly fighting against. Right. And uh, I think Kantai does a really good job of delineating that difference between, you know, bourgeois feminist solidarity versus, uh, you know, uh, socialist uh, feminist solidarity. So I, uh, I guess I'll start then. Uh, so this was published in 1909 and it's called the social basis of the women question. And um, what I'll do is I'll read through it. Um, and I have points that I want to make or things I want to highlight. And um, yeah, so uh, to start, um, <clears throat> leaving it to the bourgeois scholars to absorb themselves in discussion of the question of the superiority of one sex over the other, or in the weighing of brains and the comparing of the psychological structure of men and women, the followers of historical materialism fully accept the natural specificities of each sex and demand only that each person, whether man or woman, has a real opportunity for the fullest and freest self-determination and the widest scope for the development and application of all natural inclinations. Um, so that's like a hell of an opening sentence. And I think that um, kind of perfectly, instead of burying her point, you know, somewhere deep within this text, she just starts off with, uh, liberal uh, bourgeois feminism um, is dematerialized, meaning that it is alienated from material conditions and affording, she gets into it later, but affording merely just political rights, right? Um, or even just merely representation um, is nowhere near enough, right? To secure um, the true advancement and liberation of women, right? Um, and, you know, again, if that, that, when I, you know, read that and accept it as the face value, I also think like, well, you know, I think also black people, right? Or non-white people, you know, as well. Like there, there should be the stark delineation between, um, you know, solidarity and bourgeois solidarity. But uh, that's, a, that's a hell of an opening. So to continue, she says, uh, the followers of historical materialism reject the existence of a special woman question separate from the general social question of our day. Specific economic factors were behind the subordination of women. Natural qualities have been a secondary factor in this process. Only the complete disappearance of these factors, only the evolution of those forces, which at some point in the past gave rise to the subjugate, sorry, subjection of women, is able in a fundamental way to influence and change their social position. In other words, women can become truly free and equal only in a world organized along new social and productive lines. And, um, you know, I think like, you know, Marxism 101, right, is, um, you know, you have base and superstructure, you know. There are the economic mode of production, um, you know, in a positive feedback loop gives rise to influences, um, you know, social relations, uh, you know, the way people organize themselves, not just economically, but socially, the way 
they treat people with ostensible differences to them based on their hierarchy in this capitalist system. So I think that's a, I think that opening is pretty, I mean, she's very direct in what she wants to say, but, uh, so, uh, so she says, uh, sorry, she says, uh, this, however, does not mean that the partial improvement of women's life within the framework of the modern system is impossible. The radical solution of the workers question is possible only with the complete reconstruction of modern productive relations. But must this present us from working for reforms, which is served to satisfy the most urgent interests of the proletariat? On the contrary, each new gain of the working class represents a step leading mankind toward the kingdom of freedom and social equality. Each right that woman wins brings her nearer the defined goal of full emancipation. Um, so, yeah, that yeah, hell of a banger. And I mean, again, you know, it is attacking the material root causes, right, that lead to in, uh, entrench these um, oppressions, you know, and I mean, the only way to do it is, you know, class solidarity, right? Um, and to continue, she says, social democracy was the first to include in its program the demand for the equalization of the rights of women with those of men. In speeches and in print, the party demands always and everywhere the withdrawal of limitations affecting women. It is the party's influence alone that has forced other parties and governments to carry out reforms in favor of women. And in Russia, this party is not only the defender of women in terms of its theoretical positions, but always and everywhere adheres to the principle of women's equality. And, um, you know, quick, like, I guess, historical uh, kind of note. Um, and y'all let me know if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, the Russian revolution was, uh, you know, in part very much so started by, um, you know, a feminist, a feminist movement by women workers, you know? And I think that, is the case, right? And I think this is something that's kind of like, you know, overlooked, but I mean, is the case of socialist movements and revolutions like throughout the world, you know? Um, that's right. Yeah. 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 I think, I think a, a very, that, that's, that's very much, that's very much true. Um, I don't know quite the exact details, the case with the Russian revolution, but I know like if when I go back to the, you know, original uh, of these, of these emancipatory revolution, if you look at the French revolution, there was a very critical, um, uh, you know, on the path to taking taking the Bastille. One of the, the one of the one of the most important events leading up to it was uh, this is the name. This is actually the name, and this is where the, this name is used later on from. Is like there was something known as the March of Women, um, and you know had hundred I guess hundreds of thousands of peasant women just like you know they're basically saying we can't feed our families and it's just like up just totally fed up with yeah. the existing with the ancient regime and so you know i i you know we could look at like say the sandinistas in nicaragua like that in fact that's like a pretty big aspect we want to point to you know it's, it's literally in the name of sandinistas right it's like <laughs> uh in terms of like the women fighters were at the forefront mm -hmm. in terms of revolutionaries in that movement, for instance. Yeah. And the October revolution that uh, we just referenced uh, got kicked off when a bunch of working class women did a bread riot. And it's easy to see why women would be in such a position, right? Because they were often uh, the ones in charge of feeding everyone in the mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. And guess what? When the food's not there, mama bear gets pissed off. Absolutely. And, and I think too, like the fact that like, you know, under capitalism, um, the sorts of, um, you know, just lengths, you know, the, the oppression and domination, you know, that, um, that 
happens in the system against women, I think is indicative of their role, you know, um, and their vital role, like um, in perpetuating and keeping them oppressed and dominated, you know, and perpetuating um, capitalist social relations and the system itself, you know? Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's why I really enjoyed, like not, not just this piece, but all three of them, but uh, to continue, I'll get through this and uh, get to the first part where she talks about the struggle for economic independence. But um, she says, what in this case hinders our quote, equal writers from accepting the support of this strong and experienced party? The fact is that, however radical the equal writers may be, they are still loyal to their own bourgeois class. Mm -hmm. Political freedom is at the moment an essential prerequisite for the growth and power of the Russian bourgeoisie. Without it, all the economic welfare of the latter will turn out to have been built upon sand. The demand for political equality is for women a necessity that stems from life itself. Right. Um, the slogan of, quote, access to the professions has ceased to suffice. Only direct participation in the government of the country promises to assist in raising women's economic situation. And I just want to pause here. Um, you know, I mentioned representation earlier, or um, you know, even women entering the workforce, right? Um, later in this column tie, I talks about um, these systems of oppression, domination, uh, even under a system which affords um, uh, political rights and a representation, right? Um, these systems are still reproduced. Um, in these supposedly new social relations, right? Um, and I think that access to the professions is, uh, again, I mean, you know, you can have uh, Margaret Thatcher, uh, right now Kamala Harris, right? I mean, like representation isn't enough when women from the bourgeois class align themselves with their class first and foremost, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Did, did you want to say something, Jamie? You know what? I'm going to take some notes and save it for the end because I feel like you're on a roll. All right. mm -hmm. so, uh, and I'll, I'll try to be, uh, you know, because uh, even this one piece we could talk about forever. But, um, you know, I do want to point out some important things. Uh, so uh, hence the passionate desire of women of the middle bourgeoisie to gain the franchise, uh, the vote, and hence their hostility to the modern bureaucratic system. However, in their demands for political equality, our feminists are like their foreign sisters. The wide horizons opened by social democratic learning remain alien and incomprehensible to them. The feminists seek equality in the framework of the existing class society. In no way do they attack the basis of this society. They fight for prerogatives for themselves without challenging the existing prerogatives and privileges. We do not accuse the representatives of the bourgeois women's movement of failure to understand the matter. Their view of things flows inevitably from their class position. Um, you know, so again, you know, uh, these these social relations are, um, you know, informed by and, you know, reinforce uh, the mode of production. And, um, you know, I think one thing, too, is uh, that that I found interesting is that when she says in no way do they attack the basis of the society and they fight for prerogatives for themselves. You know, I think about when liberals talk about um, institutional or systemic racism, you know. And they never attack, they never name and highlight what this institution or system is, you know? Um, and I mean, that's because doing so would jeopardize um, and question their own uh, class position, which mm -hmm. they're not going to do, right? Yeah. yeah. And it also reminds me of these uh, debates that are still going on, these conflicts between like lean-in feminists and uh, socialist feminists. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, there's 
women from, you could say that the socialist movement today isn't fully representative of the working class as such, but uh, I think it's certainly a part. Uh, and there are some, there are some people who believe that we're not really going to be free until women have not just these bourgeois rights, not just like access to advance within their fancy office jobs, but, you know, access to food and <laughs> healthcare yeah. and all of these things that rich women don't really have to think about. Absolutely. Um, you know, absolutely. And I think like uh, that, you know, for me, and I think for like all of us here, that wasn't, uh, that was very clear to me with the, the pink pussy hat, you know, like marches and shit, you know, um, where, I mean, you know, people are like, you know, it's cathartic and I mean, people should gather in the streets, but it, it was sort of like, a, you know, there was a sign there, uh, amazing sign that said, I hope all of y'all white women show up to the next Black Lives Matter protest. And uh, that was a good sign. Uh, uh, sure. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, class solidarity, man. So, uh, so as Jamie was just kind of uh, uh, talking about hinting at, we were talking about is uh, the this this first part is the struggle for economic independence. That's the title. So uh, first of all, and I'm just going to read through this part. And uh, there's there's a, a sentence that I kind of want to highlight and underscore, but I'm just kind of going to read through it. And anything uh, that I kind of feel like needs a little bit more explaining, um, you know, I'll, I'll do that. So uh, I'm not I'm not going to read through all of this, but I am going to read um, some parts I think are uh, especially important, and um, I'm going to kind of parse them out. So. Uh, Quote, first of all, we must ask ourselves whether a single united women's movement is possible in a society based on class contradictions. The fact that the women who take part in the liberation movement do not represent one homogenous mass is clear to every unbiased observer. The women's world is divided just as is the world of men into two camps. The interests and aspirations of one group of women bring it close to the bourgeois class, while the other group has close connections with the proletariat and its claims for liberation encompass a full solution to the women question. So, um, you know, I just wanted to open up with that because I think this is especially where she gets that uh, bourgeois women have uh, class solidarity with their class, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this this discussion about the liberation of women, um, it, it, it leaves out and does not encompass proletariat women, right? Um, even though, you know, uh, liberal feminists um, claim that they're for the liberation of all women, right? Um, but again, as Kantai says, their aims and interests are different. Um, uh, there's this one part where she says, quote, so many bangers, so, so many bangers. And I mean, this one especially, right? She says, quote, while for the feminists, the achievement of equal rights with men in the framework of the contemporary capitalist world represents a sufficiently concrete end in itself, Equal rights at the present time are, for the proletarian women, only a means of advancing the struggle against the economic slavery of the working class, right? Um, and I mean, you know, socialist feminists understand that the promise of, quote, equal rights under liberal bourgeois democracy is it's hollow. And while it can afford, like, incremental advancements, um, it does not reject capitalism, which, you know, although not proportionally, right, obviously, right, like enslaves us all, you know? Um, and I think that that's where, as Colin Ty is pointing out, that's where the bourgeois feminists, um, they sort of glaze over that part or they refuse to acknowledge it, again, because of their class position, right? Um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, so, uh, uh, so yeah, I wanna, I wanna point out uh, this part as well, Quote, the woman worker, no less than her brother in misfortune, 
hates that insatiable monster with its gilded maw, which concerned only to drain all the sap from his victims and grow at the expense of millions of human lives, throws itself with equal greed at man, woman, and child. And uh, I mean, this is, th- I mean, I think this is where especially it resonated in the wake of Roe v. Wade with, um, you know, I think anybody who, you know, was online and sort of, um, you know, seeing the reaction, you know, from um, liberals about this and the comparisons and the sort of uh, equations with, um, you know, either uh, uh, non-white people or either throwing uh, trans people or uh, gay people under the bus, you know, and it's, it's, understanding that this system and the way it's constructed and built is affects all of us right and it, yes of course there are others that are affected disproportionately but to say that like i would even see you know uh, uh, tweets i guess or even sort of a sentiment that um you know uh, yes black women especially in the south are going to be more adversely affected but that doesn't mean that you have to you don't try to bridge solidarity or even like, you know, uh, have empathy, right. Or understanding with, um, upper class, you know, women, right. I think that, you know, something as fundamental as, you know, the right to your body, right. I mean, it affects everyone, um, you know, regardless of class position and women are enrolled in society, um, regardless of their class are, uh, affected by these issues, except, you know, uh, liberal feminists, um, they obfuscate, right, um, this solidarity and this well, kind of common commonality. So, some do. I think some uh, some are better than others, I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I think when they point out that it disproportionately affects poor women and women of color, I think they're trying to have solidarity with people who are not like themselves. And, you know, that's something that we should encourage. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think they need to be encouraged to look a little bit further to the root causes of oppression for uh, this, themselves as well as poor women and women of color and see that it's capitalism and that you can't, it's, it's, it's a little hypocritical to say, mm-hmm. I believe in liberation for the poor, for the people who are, you know, got the short end of the race, race stick when they were mm-hmm. passing out mm-hmm. uh, races and say, hey, if you really care about these people, you will also fight against capitalism. Yeah, yeah. And and like to kind of add to that from Colin Thierry's thought, she says, quote, a woman can possess equal rights and be truly free only in a world of socialized labor, of harmony and justice. Um, and I think like that, that sort of uh, that solidarity, right? I mean, that's the only thing that will sort of uh, dismantle, right? Um, these oppressions that kind of flow again through uh, from it and reinforce it. Um, um, but but to that point to where talking about how uh, bourgeois liberalism does afford political rights, um, she says, quote, and this is true up to a certain point, for the majority of women of the proletariat, equal rights with men would mean only an equal share in inequality. But for the quote, chosen few, for the bourgeois women, it would indeed open doors to new and unprecedented rights and privileges that until now have been enjoyed by men of the bourgeois class alone, right? Um, so, so again, you know, making this, this, uh, this difference between um, what it means to have merely political rights and representation um, versus class solidarity with regard mm-hmm. to class position, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so uh, this, is, this, is, this is quite long, but I do... If I, if I, if I may interject real quick, I, I find that, that what you just read out, Aaron, quite interesting mm-hmm. because I think 
what Colin Ty is adding here and this analysis, it opens up a, a venue that typically is ignored if you just read, say, someone like Marx and not entirely, but mostly Engels, because he also did write about the family and this and how it was a, a tied to the formation of the state. Um, but you know, Marx and Engels and Lenin, if you just kept just just that, you would never ever like really not entirely, but like there was just been like not really this emphasis on like say women. It typically it's like a man this man that, and it's like not discussion of like quite frankly half of the human species and mm. and here was this kind of like you know specificity in terms of discussion where there is already kind of that uh concreteness and and uh duality of say okay for people for bourgeois class there are these interests and for proletariat class there's this interest but then also here colin is like well even if say these rights were Yes, it is among bourgeois women. Let's be clear here. If those rights still happen, it's still good because these things were still not allowed for women anyway, even if it's just Absolutely. for just the bourgeois women. And I think this kind of like analysis opens up venue that say it's later taken up by say, you know, people socialists in the global south, like someone mm -hmm. like say Mao Zedong or like say you know, the Black Panther Party, for instance, in the sense of like people who, who, who are talking about we need very much of like well race is also something at specificity in terms of like and, and also uh, colonized countries that you know, the way that these manifest and the way we unravel these kind of oppressions are also specific to the conditions of their own oppression yeah as a as stuart hall said um uh race is the modality in which class is lived you know um and i think that's sort of a that sort of contextualizes right um all these different um you know identities um and uh um you know class positions and reconcile them you know to kind of uh, make it make sense because these things can kind of get confusing but uh there um there there is this uh in this part about economic independence there's this before i go on to a marriage and the problem of the family there's this one part i wanted to uh read because Conthide does an amazing job of sort of sketching out um, um, the way feminism was was sort of born, you know, um, uh, during the Industrial Revolution. Um, and she says, uh, let me, sorry, I'm trying to find this. Okay, there we go. She says, uh, quote, the women questioned the assumed importance for women of the bourgeois classes approximately in the middle of the 19th century a considerable time after the proletarian women had arrived in the labor arena. Under the impact of the monstrous successes of capitalism, the middle classes of the population were hit by waves of need. The economic changes had rendered the financial situation of the petty and middle bourgeoisie unstable, and the bourgeois women were forced with a dilemma of menacing proportions, either accept poverty or achieve the right to work. Wives and daughters of these social groups began to knock at the doors of the universities, the art salons, the editorial offices, the offices, the editorial houses, sorry, the offices flooding to the professions that were open to them. The desire of bourgeois women to gain access to science and the higher benefits of culture was not the result of a sudden maturing need, but stem, stemmed from that same question of daily bread, right? Mm -hmm. So with this, two things, I guess, um, one thing I'm thinking of now, but one thing I had kind of wrote down, but this sort of reminds me of, um, 
and I don't, I hope like this makes sense, but it, it sort of, to me, mirrors this uh, advocating for their own advancement, right? During, uh, well, you know, well after actually the industrial revolution, right? Um, but this sort of, to me, mirrored the, I guess the revolutionary advancement of um, a class like the bourgeoisie itself, you know, um, the sort of as um, rights and I guess this understanding of things like property and the state, the individual civil liberties and rights, as they sort of um, expand and also I guess the, the, mean, the means of production themselves, as they kind of expand and develop, um, you know, people kind of start realizing the contradictions right and mm -hmm. there's sort of a bucking of forces you know against the social relations and the means of production right and or the, the mode of production i guess right and i guess this reminds me sort of of that of that sort of um you know like recognition acknowledgement right and realizing that like you too can like fight for your own advancement mm -hmm. right so i um, i like that part a lot also it seems it seems like she might be using bourgeoisie a little bit differently than Marxists often use it here, right? Because right. it could mean the bourgeoisie, like the uh, ownership class, or it could mean uh, like just the middle class. And yeah. um, this this sort of vision of why middle class women specifically began advocating for you know access to the professions, as she says, um, it's very different than the one we get now from like, you know, Hillary Clinton's picture books or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it wasn't just maybe women from the, the haute bourgeoisie or the, the upper upper classes just wanted personal fulfillment or, you know, to do something that interested their brains. Um, but women from the middle classes, very much it was a matter of needing to survive. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just imagining a cursed socialist Hillary Clinton. We must resolve the Hillary, the, the woman question mm -hmm. in this country. <laughs> oh boy, where's Michael Brooks when you need him? And in another timeline. Uh, R.I.P. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll be the cursed socialist Hillary Clinton for all of us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Jamie. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, take up the comment. But uh, okay, man, go to the oh riot. Oh God, I can't believe she actually said that. Um, but uh. All right, so okay, uh, man, go to the rev. <laughs> not, not bad. Not, would we have Pokemon Go? I'll After, keep, I'll keep working on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, last thing I want to note about this part before I go to marriage, um, she says, "quote Only thanks to the fact that the labor of women workers had received recognition on the world market, were the bourgeois women able to occupy the independent position in society in which the feminists uh, take so much pride." Uh, so, I mean, you know, Jamie, you were talking about like her use of bourgeois, like, does that mean like, you know, uh, like it, it, it is, she's not very, in this piece, actually, she does, I think, get a little clearer. Um, but I think essentially here, it's, uh, you know, those who, uh, I guess, uh, produce, like those who are laborers and, and those who don't, which I guess, uh, you know, in her time, that difference was uh, uh, maybe a little bit more stark than it is now, you know, maybe it was a little bit more clear than it is now. Uh, I, don't know, I guess there are discussions of uh, uh, the PMC class and X, Y, and Z, which I think sort of uh, blur lines, I guess, right? Um, yeah. Uh, do y'all have anything to say on that, uh, that one part before I uh, try to get through the marriage? Uh, I'm good. You're good. Okay, sweet. I, I want All you right. to explain to me why I should get divorced. Why well, you should get divorced? Okay, all right. I'll I'll try, I'll try that. Uh, so uh, that might be a question that would be better to ask me, Jorge. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. Actually, this is true. <laughs> uh, 
So, uh, so just, I'm just going to read the introductory paragraph and then kind of jump through it. Um, marriage and the problem of the family. Let us turn our attention to another aspect of the women question, the question of the family. The importance that the solution of this urgent and complex question has for the genuine emancipation of women is well known. The struggle for political rights, for the right to receive doctorates and other academic degrees, and for equal pay for equal work is not the full sum of the fight for equality. To become really free, women has to throw off the heavy chains of the current forms of the family, which are outmoded and oppressive. For women, the solution of the family question is no less important than the achievement of political equality and economic uh, independence. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I like this part especially too, because, um, you know, she's like not only talking about, you know, uh, it's not about just political rights, right? Um, it's not even just about economic rights, right? But I kept, you know, and you'll hear this phrase a lot in this podcast, but uh, the social relations, right? She's also talking about these social rights, these these sort of like sticky sort of, I, I don't know how else to define them, then the sort of glue, right? That whole like the social organization together, you know, um, whether it's the way you and your boss interact or whether it's you and your family members, um, uh, you know, a spouse, right? Spouses, right? Um, you know, I think like, the concrete some, vibes the concrete i like the concrete vibes exactly that's perfect actually but these concrete vibes right that cement right uh everything sort of uh, uh together and hold this together and uh, makes it socially reproduces i guess self-replicates itself socially um marriage is is one of those things which i mean you know I, I, there's i'll get into it and Picanta i gets into it but um you know i think that that's something that people uh, don't think about enough because uh, women are um, out in the workforce and they have the right to vote. But it's not sort of understood that uh, marriage is still very much tied to the system of oppression domination, right? Um, whether or not, um, you know, women can, uh, uh, you know, um, own a bank account now, right, under their husband's name, right? Um, whether or not they can, uh, you know, um, again like yeah have 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 these economic rights which have been afforded to men but still in these very subtle ways are dominated and oppressed right um and marriage is is, is one of them so uh i just think that's um and and can kind of highlight i guess the family and the capitalist society you know reduces women to not only a third class citizen but property right um and uh this part i i enjoy as well uh, i'm gonna read this she says uh quote the hypocrisy of double morality is another weapon. Bourgeois society crushes women with its sav sav savage economic vice, paying for her labor at a very low rate. The woman is deprived of the citizen's rights to raise her voice in defense of her interest. Instead, she is given only the gracious alternative of the bondage of marriage or the embraces of prostitution, a trade despised and persecuted in public, but encouraged and supported in secret. And Damn. I think it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, like reading this, you know, it, it's just, I think, so especially live in the United States where, you know, the United States is this, uh, I guess, very, very sort of uh, not necessarily prim, right, but it, it sexualizes everything and sex sells. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, because I guess of, um, you know, Christian fundamentalism and these, these sort of uh, Christian roots of these, this country, um, it's also very like, you know, looked down upon and punished and persecuted for, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's this contradiction that's like not only offensive, but it's actively harmful and like self-replicating in these social relations. 
like women are prized and protected for their roles as mothers and they're given these minimum political and economic rights and mm-hmm. even this cultural purchase right to fill that role but still this bondage to capitalism and its social relations it's is what perpetuates this oppression and forces them between this overt um i guess domination right or these apparently less overt firms of domination right uh i guess mother and wife versus prostitution right which again is punished but accepted yeah. it reminds me kind of like the like the gop like sex rings that kind of like was in the news recently about mm-hmm. like it's like these people so like despise the conversation of sex in public are like you know hate women punish women for just like being who they are and and then also punish prostitution but then also in secret uh are involved with like these like secret sex parties and you know for a fact that these are not women that like to meet on the street these are these are almost definitely the people the women at these sex parties are sex workers so yeah no shit i know some people who've participated in such things actually as as workers not as uh as clients <laughs> and it sounds pretty wild Kolontai is actually interesting on uh on prostitution on sex work because uh I, she's kind of a mixed bag. Again, there are things she says that are like pretty woke that I agree with. And there are things she says that I disagree with. Um, I actually read, Ooh, can we do it again? I did her, uh, what she wrote on prostitution on the Antifada with some actual real live sex workers and saw what they had to say about it and how it holds up today in a modern context. But, um, yeah, I like how she sort of sort of shows, um, marriage and prostitution are sort of two sides of the same coin in a world where women are subordinate and dependent on men for their survival. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, uh, to, uh, to, to highlight another, actually, to add on to that, Jamie, she, uh, she says, uh, quote, customs and traditions persecute the young mother, whatever the stratum of the population to which she belongs. The laws place bourgeois women proletarian women and peasant women all under the guardianship of their husbands. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, one analogy and parallel I kind of drew was again, you know, this repealing of Roe v. Wade and, you know, sort of this, um, this compartmentalization, right. Of women. Right. Um, it, it's very, uh, I guess it's very class reductionist to be honest with you, you know, and I'm um, just sort of thinking like, no, this affects all women, like, and right. I mean, all women. Right. Um, uh, let me, uh, uh, let me see. Uh, and we, we kind of touched on that on the previous episode regarding the, regarding that, mm-hmm. regarding that decision. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, a little bit of historical context, actually, uh, which I think is, uh, again, um, kind of sort of, uh, reflects like current events. Right. Um, so she's talking about in Russia at the time, she says here in Russia, uh, Women of the middle bourgeoisie, the army of independent wage earners thrown onto the labor market during the 1860s, have long since settled and practiced many of the confused aspects of the marriage question. Mm-hmm. They have courageously replaced the quote consolidated family of tradition of the traditional church marriage with more elastic types of relationship that meet the needs of that social layer. So again, uh, this uh, superstructure, this uh, uh, base. Uh, informing and um self-replicating um social relations right 
um, in the superstructure, right? Um, uh, despite the fact that they seem like they may change. Uh, she goes on to say, but the subjective solution of this question by individual women does not change the situation. It does not relieve the overall gloomy picture of family life. If any force is destroying the modern form of the family, it is not the titanic efforts of separate and stronger individuals, but the inanimate and mighty forces of production, which are uncompromisingly budding life on new foundations. So again, these ostensible new social relations that have been afforded um, with the advancement of political economic rights, right? They do not dissolve, I guess, the, the vestiges, right, of oppression and domination of previous modes of production. Um, because women under capitalism are prized as, um, you know, not just caregivers, right, um, you know, uh, or, uh, but also they, they, well, they're mothers, right? Their job is to raise children, bear children, and um, socially reproduce them to become, I guess, uh, my words, I guess, automatons in this like kind of capitalist system, right? Um, these, rights that they, they're afforded under bourgeois democracy are only enough so they can socially reproduce that role right so uh one thing jamie that you were you were talking about uh free love you know and i'd never i only heard this term with like hippies but uh column tie uh one thing i want to point out in uh the family uh, the marriage part is that she talks about column tie was not a hippie she was she was not a hippie no only a little bit them. only a little bit but she, she would have hated them um but uh, she says, quote, uh, boo, 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 is, quote, free love possible? Can it be realized as a common phenomenon, as the generally accepted norm rather than the individual exception, given the economic structure of our society? Is it possible to ignore the element of private property in contemporary marriage? Is it possible in an individualistic world to ignore the formal marriage contract without the damaging the interests of women? Uh, so... Uh, you know, again, I was talking about how liberals talk about, um, they, you know, not only love to talk about institutions without naming the institution, but they love to individualize things, right? So with these economic um, and, well, these political rather, and sort of these um, representational, um, you know, uh, uh, advancements, I guess, um, what, what they often do is that they sort of individualize um, problems, right? It's not about um, alleviating a systemic class issue, right? It's um, kind of atomizing it, which, you know, I think is, uh, you know, incredibly destructive. You know, I think it uh, obfuscates like the actual goal and aims of like what we should be doing, right? Um, For sure. Are you gonna read the next part here too? Uh, I... Yeah, do you wanna what? Oh, cause I like it. <laughs> Like, oh, oh, this part, oh, this part, okay, okay. Um, oh, shit, yeah, so I'll read the whole thing then. Uh, fuck it. Uh, so, uh, for the matter of contract is the only guarantee that all the difficulties of maternity will not fall on the woman alone. Will not that which once happened to the male worker now happen to the woman? Oh, yeah, I do like this part. The removal of guild regulations without the establishment of new rules governing the conduct of the masters gave capital absolute power over the workers. The tempting slogan, freedom of contract for labor and capital, became a means for the naked exploitation of labor by capital. Quote, free love introduced consistently into contemporary class society, instead of freeing women from the hardships of family life, would surely shoulder her with a new burden, the task of caring alone and unaided for her children. Mm. Um, you know what that reminded me of, Jamie, that part? Um, and we, we should do maybe another episode on this podcast about this. But Jamie, you and I, for the Antifada, we talked about uh, Born in Flames. 
Yeah. Um, that movie by Lizzie Borden. And it reminded me, so this movie is a, about a alternative history, social democratic United States that still is plagued by um, issues of racism and sexism, right? Um, homophobia. And at the end of the movie, the president, the social democratic, democratic president of the United States, um, in order to alleviate these class antagonisms and these riots, he proposes that um, um, in order to uh, compensate for the disparity and pay, right, uh, that uh, women, uh, working women receive, that they would be paid for domestic work, right? Mm -hmm. And um, wages against housework. Yes, yes, absolutely. So it's like, uh, you know, again, like she says at the end, um, this shoulders uh, uh, women with a new burden, the task of caring alone and native for children. It just yeah. self reproduces. And right? that's that's basically what happened, right? Like, yeah. if you look at what happened later, um, say, you know, once we had a real free love movement in the 60s. People got divorced more. People had more children out of wedlock, which is uh, just one more example of like, okay, the old systems are breaking down, which is largely a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. We don't like patriarchy. We don't like mm -hmm. uh, the church telling you what to do with your life. Uh, we don't like uh, these these old forms of oppression and domination, um, but we need to replace them with something. Right. right. And we don't even have a fucking welfare state in this country right. for all of these kids who were born out of wedlock They're, They we have this cockamamie system where they like chase down uh, men who don't have a lot of money, often low income people of color yeah. trying to get money that they don't have instead of just supporting the moms and the kids and whoever fucking needs it. Oh, and the dads as well. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, but like, there are lots and lots of people who think, oh, um, the answer to this is we need to rebuild these conservative institutions, right? And these are yeah. what what is known as conservatives. And then there are the liberals who basically have no answers for anything, <laughs> right? They're like, yeah. well, what we need is an earned childcare tax credit uh, with lots and lots of hoops that you have to jump through. And what the communists propose is, a third option where everyone is actually uh, where we have we have social cohesion, we have communal bonds that are not based on patriarchy, that are not based on race, uh, that are not based on these these old institutions, right? But based on you know the fellowship of humanity and working together for a common goal. And I really Absolutely. believe that that's possible. Did y'all hear? Did y'all hear that, fellows? Jamie <laughs> is protecting your right uh, for, to protect you from. Forking over your cash to child support payments. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. No. But I mean, I, so I, I, many words. Sure. Yeah. But but no. I mean, I, I think I think what I think you do you do touch on something really important there, Jamie. Because like the problem with like you know the problem with people having kids out of wedlock is not that they're having them out of wedlock. It's good that they should not be having kids with people they don't want to be having kids with. The problem is the fact that it's and that's what that that's what conservatives point to is bad the problem with that the problem with having kids out of wedlock is that that they don't get support for it that's right mm. absolutely and i actually you know colin ty says on that note she says uh quote only a whole number of fundamental reforms in the sphere of social relations reforms transposing obligations from the family to society and the state 
could create a situation where the principle of quote free love might to some extent be fulfilled right um and i think yeah again like you know it's not as you were saying jorge that um kids are being born out of wedlock but it's that the state right um and society as a whole right is not supportive right of families in general you know of, of children people who decide to have children um yeah it's uh it, it just reproduces these sorts of uh, oppressions and systems of domination right and she says uh this part i actually really like a lot um she talks about here that free love is only um accessible and free right to um again a certain class of people right um she says quote are we not aware of the depravity and abnormalities that in present conditions are anxious to pass themselves off under this convenient label, right, of free love again? Um, she says, consider all those gentlemen owning and administering industrial enterprises who force women among their workforce and clerical staff to satisfy their sexual whims using the threat of dismissal to achieve their ends. Are they not in their own way practicing, quote, free love? All those masters of the house who rape their servants and throw them out pregnant onto the street, are they not adhering to the formula of, quote, free love? So, I mean, like this part, again, is just, you know, I just think that it, it's, 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 it's just really just, you know, these, these systems just reproduce themselves. And even though the social relations seem to change, right, um, the material basis hasn't changed at all, right? If anything, these oppressions, uh, dominations, they've been entrenched, right? So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, uh, this part I thought was interesting uh, before I got to mention this before I close out um, these two, two, uh, two points. Uh, she says, and the ideologists of the bourgeois world, the journalists, writers and prominent women fighters for emancipation, one after the other, put forward their, quote, family panacea, their new family formula. Right. Um, and this just kind of reminds me of this. Uh, you know, again, in the wake of Roe v. Wade, this uh, these op-eds, you know, uh, by liberal feminists who suddenly feel the need to like, they're just like, I'm just asking, right? Like, that's always the tone. I'm just asking questions. Mm -hmm. But they want to define um, what it means to be a woman or uh, to be a woman, which is, you know, always throwing trans women under the bus, right? Um, you know, uh, throwing anyone under the bus that does not, you know, fit to their ideal, what they think a woman should be, which all of this is influenced again by their class position, right? And um, uh, one one part I think was uh, especially interesting, uh, marriage in itself, she says, uh, they hold, does not have any special value for women. Uh, for women, motherhood is her purpose, her sacred aim, her task in life. Thanks to such inspired advocates as Ruth Ray and Ellen Key, the bourgeois ideal that recognizes women as female rather than a person, has acquired a special halo of progressiveness. Mm. And it's this really warped, and, you know, Colin Ty talks about a- uh, Sounds so modern. modern. It, yeah. it, dude, it, it's like, I was reading this and I was thinking about like, you know, this this right to maternity, right? That Colin right. Ty talks about, right? And this idea that like they warp it in the sense where they say that, you know, uh, the right and even ostensible pro-life quote pro-life progressive <laughs> Liz Brunick like they fucking say mm -hmm. that like you know they have this inverse perverted thing where they're like under this negative right right of what it is to be a mother under capitalist social relations this is actually liberatory right actually by like pushing like for people to like you know have the right to an abortion you are denying like the autonomy 
of like women to like have children, right? Or to mm-hmm. decide what they want to do with their bodies, which is completely fucked, right. you know? It's completely yeah. fucked. If it sounds like very much like describing current events, it's because guess what, folks? Colin Ty is using the immortal signs. Never doubt the immortal mm-hmm. signs. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. I think I think I need to like go over this again to like fully understand all of it. But um I I am thinking about in particular uh oof that awful transphobic editorial that ran in the new york times that perhaps you guys are familiar with where she's sort of she's she is defining a a woman by like basically the ability to get pregnant and Mm. she's saying uh she's trying to make it sound progressive that she's doing that but uh i don't know i mean i think i'm a lot more than uh a fucking baby maker uh i don't think i'm only a woman because i have a fucking uterus like there are women who don't have them uh there are there are cis women who don't have them and uh it seems like it it sets us up to go down uh, a bad road (laughs) you know like as a as a cis woman, uh, I am more than my fucking body parts and whether or not I have children. And I, I feel like a woman for reasons other than just having a uterus, you know, <laughs> as as all kinds of women do, whether they're trans or cis or whatever. You know, there are other things um, that they go into creating your gender as an expression of yourself rather than just, you know, the body that you're born with. So, uh, yeah, there's nothing progressive about defining a woman just by her reproductive capabilities is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. And I think, you know, too, it just, it kind of flattens, right? Like, I mean, what essentially is what it does is it flattens all of these contradictions and things that need to be parsed out in order to like, you know, the things that they want to talk, they they love to talk about, right? Like rights and civil liberties. I mean, what you're doing essentially is like, you're just, uh, you're doing more harm than good, right? Like not only are you flattening out these contradictions, but you're also kind of entrenching, right? The, the, the forces that perpetuate these contradictions, you know? Um, it's, it's just not good, folks. It's not good. Uh, so um, I'm actually almost done with the meeting. I'm trying to see if there's anything else I wanted to point out um, in this marriage part that I think is important. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, this one quote. Um, but I just want to, like, you know, follow up to, again, like, I think with that kind of the section about, um, you know, women and marriage and its function under capitalism, um, essentially, like, you know, the modern family unit and its social relations um, reduce women to property and, um, you know, uh, mothers, right? Caregivers as a result. So uh, uh, the alternative though, um, Kantai says, quote, with the transfer of educative functions from the family to society, the last tie holding together the modern isolated family will be loosened. The process of disintegration will proceed at an even faster pace and the pale silhouettes of future marital relations will begin to emerge. What can we say about these indistinct silhouettes, hidden as they are by present-day influences? So, I, I like that part because, um, you know, uh, outside of what we're talking about specifically, um, this topic, like people, of course, there's the meme like under communism, like X, Y, and Z, right? But people do like to have these conversations about like what a different social relation would look like under communism. I think like we should think about these things, but. 
also like i think what kantai is saying here is that like yo dog like we do know that it would be divorced from capitalism and individualistic capitalist social relations but we don't exactly know what it would look like right mm-hmm. you know well she's um, trying to yeah. figure it out in real time because they're building a, yes. new, a new socialist society exactly which is um, like makes not, it a not, lot less speculative not, than not anything time. that we might say well not this time yeah this is this is the pre the prequel right when she yeah, this is 1909 right? okay yeah, so you yeah. and your dates mr time mm-hmm. cop <laughs> well jorge's the historian here so uh uh but um well, I'm, I'm she was she was uh she was an optimist all right she knew it was going to happen and she was getting ready just like us just like we are now just getting ready man uh so i'm just checking over to make sure yeah i think i i, I tried and later we're gonna obviously when we have uh you know this is a series so we're gonna have other episodes where we get to parse some of this stuff a lot more but um but yeah that that was the marriage part and i think that um you know i know this podcast is we do the reading so you don't have to but like you should read all these pieces um and leave read this piece especially and the marriage part i think is super important but um yeah we um, don't do we do the reading so you don't have to yes we lied do the reading <laughs> do the reading do the reading uh so the last section is a little short and i guess um there there yeah there there are parts that um i'm going to read out in full so the last section is the struggle for political rights right um and again we've been has been talking about the difference between um just merely economic rights um, um, and political rights uh, versus uh, 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 solidarity, right? And class solidarity and the expression of um, all of these rights that, because, you know, socialism is kind of an outgrowth that comes out of liberalism, right? Um, it still doesn't do the job of attacking these material questions and issues, which um, uh, Kalantai kind of, uh, I think something again that's relevant is, uh, you know, what about uh, the Democratic Party, right? Uh, what about the creeping fash and uh, the seemingly only institution, right? Uh, electoral institution, I guess, that's a defense against this. Uh, you know, I think the their response after Roe v. Wade answers that for you, but Kalantai has some uh, prescient insights as well. And um, the struggle for political rights. So she says, quote, the feminists answer our criticisms by saying, even if the arguments behind our defense of the political rights of women seem to you mistaken, is the importance of the demand itself which is equally urgent for feminists and for representatives of the working class, thereby reduced. Uh, So basically, you know, although sure, we accept your arguments about the insufficiency of the system to produce, like, you know, the the advancement of women, wouldn't wouldn't you say, though, that the the overall uh, demand itself and the goal, right? Can you just discount that completely, right? Um, Can't proletarian women and bourgeois women unite over this one issue. And uh, Kantai says, uh, cannot the women of the two social camps for the sake of their common political aspirations surmount the barriers of class antagonism that divide them? Surely they're capable of waging a common struggle against the hostile forces that surround them. The vision between bourgeois and proletarian is inevitable as far as other questions are concerned. But in the case of this particular question, the feminists imagine the women of the various social classes have no difference. Uh, differences and um you know again i gotta highlight this parallel you know it, it makes me you know think a lot about um you know uh the black struggle in this country right and um older uh older black folks whether they're liberal or conservative right actually it doesn't matter though it is very much this sort of like well um what do you think nobody should vote like what are you going to do are you going to like you know riot um don't you understand that 
you know, I or my grandmother um, was able to vote because of this kind of incremental struggle, you know, do you, don't you think it's worth it? And uh, I think, uh, I think the question is a little bit like kind of sticky, you know, and, um, but, but I think the, I'll just read Kantai because she, she talks about why this is problematic on the part of feminists, um, liberal feminists. She says, feminists keep returning to these arguments with bitterness and bewilderment. Seeing, I'm thinking of like, like Karen Twitter, like when she's saying this, I'm literally thinking of like all the people that are in my mentions all fucking day. Um, uh, calling a white man. Yeah, exactly. Calling me a white man. But uh, feminists keep returning to these arguments with bitterness and bewilderment, seeing preconceived notions of partisan loyalty and the refusal of representatives of the working class to join forces with them in the struggle for women's political rights. Is this really the case? Mm. Am I really a Bernie bro? Am I really, do you really think I'm like a sexist or are you just yeah. like uh, uh, abandoning class solidarity and call, aligning with your call class? Call on Tommy, use the immortal science to just look a hundred years into the future and then did, did Bernie bro discourse. I just want to be where the boys are. I don't know why other women are doing it, but I need dick. You know, I mean, her, her, her mind, her mind. <laughs> Yeah. Dude, I mean, like, literally, this is why, like, you know, I love, you know, do this shout. I love, like, uh, it's it's also reinvigorated my love for, like, history and theory because yeah. these people are talking about this shit, like, 100 yeah. fucking years ago, dog. Well, yeah, 100 I'd, years ago. At one level, it's inspiring, right? The power of historical materialism. On the other, it's a little depressing to know that they had some of the exact same problems that we they had, had Lenin bros fucking 100 years ago. Yeah. yeah, the people were screaming about Lenin Bros back then. Yeah, yeah, but also it. Okay, so it really, it really does remind me also too of the coalition that got us abortion rights in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I say that like we still have them, um, but like for a, Damn. for a for a short moment in time, the bourgeois feminists and the socialist feminists, the white feminists and the black feminists all the feminists were kind of working together on one issue and they were able to amass this giant social movement that yes was able to influence what was a somewhat conservative court at the time right. to make this decision however the coalition fell apart pretty fast mm. because uh you know like Colentai says there were all these different conflicting class right. interests right like the bourgeois feminists were like you know what let's not push it too far guys let's just do this one thing freedom from you, you know we're not gonna we're not fighting for you to be able to pay for your abortion we're not fighting for you to be able to i don't know uh have children if you want to and be look, able to look i want them we all want to have an abortion just don't raise my taxes yeah yeah, yeah i mean i much. mean literally i mean literally I mean, this is what she says, right? Like, and she's talking about, like, again, like, this is like very prescient because, like, she could be talking about today, right? She says, quote, the feminists declare themselves to be on the side of social reform. And some of them even say they're in favor of socialism in the far distant future, of course. Oh <laughs> but they are not intending to struggle in the ranks of the working class for the realization of these aims. The best of them believe, with a naive sincerity, that once the deputy seats are within their reach, they will be able to cure the social sores. Oh we God. just need more women cops. We need black more women. We need more black women cops. This saying. is now. This is fucking this is now. now. I gotta check it. Check it. 
Check it though. She says, she says uh, that once the deputy seats are within their reach, they will be able to cure the social sores, which have in their view developed because men with their inherent egoism. So this is one thing that I didn't, uh, I didn't read um, one part. I kind of highlighted that I didn't read um, when she's talking about um, the, the difference in approach um, to men um, in the role in society between socialist feminists and liberal feminists. Um, one thing that I really liked that she pointed out was that um, like, it's not that the socialist feminists are saying not all men, right? But what they're saying is that this is not something that um, that can be just, uh, uh, I guess, chalked up to individualism, right? Yeah. This is something that is systemic and socially reproduces itself. And like, yeah. we actually have solidarity with men who are also oppressed, yeah. right? So yeah, it's a very similar way to the way that um, liberals talk about race and racism, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's not just this... Yes. Uh, this this individual uh evil that lurks in the hearts of you know certain white people who haven't done the work or subscribed <laughs> to the safety pin box or whatever yeah. you know like fin it's, finish their social justice internship yeah exactly. like yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it it's got much deeper roots than that and it's systemic in a way that they do not understand and refuse to understand but I, I, it just it's just like so striking to me though like the that that passage you just read because like you know i think maybe you forgot like is it because men with their inner egoism have been masters of the situation like there's just like such a striking sarcasm in this mm -hmm. it's like yeah. of like it's just like i'm i'm just like at a loss of words of like god damn it this is like <laughs> this is, that was the case then this is the case yeah. now it's like uh, it's, she's, it reminds, she's doing it, a subtweet of Kamala Harris before she was even born. Like, yeah, like like, like, like it's like listen, past. listen. We all want we all want what Bernie wants. We all want what we all what, what, what <laughs> socially. We all want the same. It's just we're gonna get there. We, this is why we this see. This is why we need more Democrats. And like, this, that's what they're she's saying. That's what she's saying. The argument is like once the deputy seats are within their reach. Uh, yeah, that's literally yeah. like the elect. As soon as we have enough Democrats, we'll get the thing we want. That's the same argument. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, well, this is the thing, right? Is that what, what it ends up being and becoming, right? When you have this, um, we just need more representation, right? Um, Kanzai says, uh, speaking from the past to today, she says, quote, no, however much the bourgeois feminists try to repress the true aim of their political desires, how much, however much they assure their younger sisters that involvement in political life promises immeasurable benefits for the women of the working class. The bourgeois spirit that pervades the whole feminist movement gives a class coloring even to the demand for equal political rights with men, which would seem to be a general woman's demand. Oh my God. Different aims and understanding of how, understandings of how political rights are to be used create an unbridgeable gulf between bourgeois and proletarian women. This does not contradict the fact that the immediate task of the two groups of women coincide to a certain degree. So there's a common goal, right? But uh, for the representatives of all classes which have received access to political power, strive above all to achieve a view of the civil code, which in every country, to a greater or lesser extent, discriminates against women. So, I mean, again, right, like it's like these rights, right, that have uh, that have uh, these sort of, I guess, I don't want to call them loopholes, right? Because like they're not really loopholes. They're systems that are set in place under liberal, uh, you know, bourgeois democracy that specifically prohibit any direct democracy, right? Any of the people from even having a say. But still, this is something that you know was used and offered as a tool of emancipa emancipation and liberation for people, right? Mm -hmm. Although, of course, it didn't, you know, it didn't go the full mile, right? It didn't kind of, it didn't live out like its promise, right? Um, 
so this is this is the last paragraph which uh uh i think is i'm just gonna read out which is is really good uh so to close it out she says a uh, class instinct whatever the feminists say always shows itself to be more powerful than the noble enthusiasms of above class politics right like I don't know. This is also I, just I, I love how she like just continually just like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna keep clowning on feminists. I just think she's like, I'm not. I I am not one of you. I'm not one of yes. you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like clearly she is a feminist, but like she at that time, I guess like so, no. What if you're a feminist? I'm not. I'm not fucking with you. Yeah. I mean, she called them feminazis. Is what she was calling them. But, you know, she was like, she's like, <laughs> like you know what? No, actually, that's a really good point, man. Because when I was reading this, you know, like um, you know, I think. Obviously, I guess if you're familiar with like, you know, the different waves of feminism, you mm. understand that like feminism, I mean, the socialism to some degree too is an all encompassing term, right? That is not like a, a monolith, you know? But I do like the fact that like when she says feminist, you know, she's talking about like liberal, like women, yeah. right? She's right. not talking about uh, like socialists, you know? Yeah, that makes okay. So I've tried really hard in my life and in my career to, uh, you know, kind of reclaim feminism and from the people who suck and show everyone what real feminism, good feminism, uh, socialist feminism can be. Mm. But I get it why some people have been uh, turned off to it in the past. It's actually interesting. It reminds me of when we were reading about the Paris Commune, right? And how uh, these these proletarian newspapers, which it, at this point in time were largely uh, socialist, mm-hmm. uh, they took sort of a dim view of the feminist movement because it was bougie. But then as soon as the Paris Commune happened and, you know, socialist feminists were a real part of this thing, they started to respect it a whole lot more uh, under under the new context. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like, you know, I think like, you know, like Colin Thais says uh, uh, here, this is the this is the the end of it. She says, uh. So long as the bourgeois women and their younger sisters are equal in their inequality, the former can, with complete sincerity, make great efforts to defend the general interests of women. But once the barrier is down and the bourgeois women have received access to political activity, the recent defenders of the rights of all women become enthusiastic defenders of the privileges of their class. Go on. Yo, I mean, like, dude, this is like literally like you know, just, I feel like what has always been replicating, right? It's like, you know, once we got our bag, right? Like, yo, know, fuck like everything we were saying before, like we're gonna leave y'all in the yeah. dust, you know, because we her got our mind, bag, you know? Her mind, yeah. I'm just, I'm telling you, her mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So- uh, to leave the younger sisters with no rights at all, boom. No rights at all. That's and, that's what happens. And, and this, is the, this is the mic drop. She says, uh, thus, when the feminists talk to working women about the need for a common struggle to realize some, quote, general women's principle, women of the working class are naturally distrustful. So, uh, yeah, man, it's not, it's not because I want to be few, one of the few, boys. Few, 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 few. Basically, what she's saying, it's not because I want to be one of the boys. It's because I have a, you have a dematerialized concept of uh, womanhood and what it means to be a woman, and I do not. So, just uh, bangers after banger bangers. after banger, man. Yeah, like yeah. it's, god damn. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, so, uh, that, pretty good. That was a yeah. So uh, you know, they're obviously like you know, I could have like read through this whole piece and talked about it for like you know over an hour, but um, you know, I just wanted well, to point out again. I did, you know, <laughs> I did, I did actually. But, you know, I just think again, like you know, it's a this again, like this sort of uh, 
you know, bourgeois feminists, like they'll always line with their class position, right? First mm-hmm. is what she's saying. And political rights and token she representation. So she is so good. Like political rights and token representation. And she's right. She's like, she's, she's right. Because as we're seeing it reproduced today. Um, these things are uh, substitutes for like, you know, working class power and actual transformative change. And uh, yeah, man, it just, we, you know. We should make a meme that's like, you know, people always like to use meme about like Marx of being like, I fucking told you, bro. It's like, it's like, and it's like instead of the Kalantai about girl girl boss feminism, I'm like, I fucking told you. I fucking told you. Mm-hmm. I told you. I told mm-hmm. you. But uh nobody wanted yeah. to hear it. Yeah. And you know, okay, reading this, mm-hmm. it could be easy uh, for some people who maybe come from uh, a certain level of comfort shall we say to feel like attacked like it's ad hom like hey just because i'm from this class doesn't mean that i was she uh, that i agree with it Mm. but yeah that's what i was about to say she came from a relatively well-to-do family but she was still out there fighting fighting for and representing uh working class socialist politics mm. so whenever she says uh bourgeois women bourgeois feminists bourgeois this bourgeois that i assume that she means you know those who advocate those kinds of politics absolutely absolutely and always be a class trader guys you have options also to uh we can you know i just <laughs> we can talk about this after uh my my uh, garage band was uh not recording my track for some reason um, good thing I clicked the button yes, where good thing you did records you individual did. Hell tracks. Yeah. Hell yeah, you did. Uh, but uh, I guess I guess that's uh, I guess that is the social basis of the woman question. I again, like I recommend that like, uh, you know, I didn't read all of it, but like it's very short and right. I recommend yeah, tell people, people that. It, it, I mean, like, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's short. And uh, I gave highlights and I gave you a, a kind of, a little taste of what she's saying but uh if you really want to understand uh sort of like you know this difference you know between bourgeois solidarity and proletarian solidarity and like why like you know these uh the k-hive and you know the the, the yeah. hillary bots are the way they are and why they'll always be like that and maybe uh what we should do is place our lot in the uh working class women all women right instead of uh trying to uh convince people who will never come to our side because they don't want to get rid of that bag man yeah absolutely yeah and you know and i as we mentioned throughout this you know alexandra kolontai socialist feminist marxist feminist this analysis is such a wonderful kind of distillation of things that happened even though this was over 100 years ago it's extremely relevant to current conditions and you know the process that she uses is historical materialism and you know here throughout this the podcast we have we are interested in helping you try to learn more but we, we do the ring so you don't have to and uh help you gain that kind of analysis and if you want to help us further further that project be sure to support the show by going to our patreon at patreon.com slash everybody loves communism Oh, that's yeah. right oh, yeah. very that's smooth right. very smooth well nice. um and, and if you really like what you heard give us five stars on apple podcast and give a review if you really want please yes definitely so. do that um, tell, tell everybody tell tell five people and then mm-hmm. those five people tell five people to check out the show yeah and uh we have a lot of cool goodies for you if you that's right a patron we have so many cool premium episodes that we've mm-hmm. already done we have so many that we're going to do in the future uh, so we many. have a discord community where you can mm-hmm. talk to us and each other and um 
We even just made a special. We're organizing all you nerds together, and you can That's be right. with us. We even just made a special cheap tier for people who only want access to the Discord. That's right. Boom. For all Do you it. chatters out there, you can that chat with us. Right. Best deal in town. That's, That's what right. I say. Well, I got to go because uh, yeah. my mom and my boyfriend have been doing this social reproductive <laughs> labor tonight so that <laughs> I can be, so that find, find fulfillment in the class struggle. Uh, the hard and, labor of being um, a podcaster. Yeah. Yeah, and now the the food is ready, and I'm oh, very and excited. Speaking of food, to eat it. yes, I am too. All right, very so well, <laughs> well, until next time, do the reading. Do the reading. Bye. 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 Bye.